This is the Pushing Left Podcast, Episode 1, The Rideshare Economy. Welcome to the Pushing Left Podcast. Uh, my name's Jim. My name is Daniel. And uh, we, the goal of this podcast is to give tech perspectives on uh, left politics. Uh, and today we're going to discuss... Uber lifts the rideshare uh, economy such that it is and uh, how it works and uh, what has recently been transpire transpiring in uh, California, I guess, uh, with the, the battle that's been going on between the state and Uber and Lyft uh, after California recently changed the law you know, a couple of years ago. And that's uh, what today's show is about. How's it going, Daniel? It's good, man. Uh, it's nice. Cool where I'm at, which is wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, do, do we want to talk a little bit about what this show is about and why we decided yeah, to absolutely. do it? Yeah, absolutely. Some ideas that I have for and why I wanted to do this. So um, there's a lot. I you know I follow a lot of podcasts, uh, maybe not too many, but, but a few, uh, and a couple of them semi-regularly, and I like the format. And... Um, and there are hacker podcasts, um, obviously, uh, quite a few of them. And there are political uh, hacker podcasts or hacker podcasts that have a politics. But I, um, of course, but uh, I think right now um, I, uh, I just I see an opportunity to talk about things with other hackers um, a possibility for left politics that I, I haven't seen before in my life. And it's beautiful. Um, and I've seen, you know, the last few years of organizing have been the teacher strikes, uh, you know, the organizing that came around the Bernie Sanders campaign, a lot of things just to say nothing of uh, the uprising that's going on at this very moment and has been for 80 days. Uh, 90 days in some, in some places. Um, but, uh, I want to, yeah, I want to talk about labor issues. Uh, I want to talk about, I want to talk about labor issues as a hacker. I, I want to talk about, um, you know, political strategies for helping unionism happen in this industry. Uh, I want to cover some of the coverage. I think there's a lot of people talking about it, a lot of good coverage. I referenced, uh, I think earlier when you were and I were talking, I referred to Mike Isaac. I'm looking forward to reading his book. Um, so, yeah, and anyway. I think from from my perspective, I think there's like a lot of people that you know in the tech sector and in information security and programmers and all kinds of different people that uh, you know could be more engaged in politics and changing the way that you know, their country works or wherever they live, uh, you know, that are not. And uh, I hope that, you know, this can be a show that makes people think about those those issues uh, more deeply and uh, perhaps take, take action uh, on them. Yeah, I was really glad when I found out, you know, you and I met at Hack Fort Worth, which is an awesome uh, security meetup. Uh, you should definitely, if, after the plague, of course, uh, get a beer if you find out you're in town at the same time or maybe even take a drive. It's really interesting. Um, I've talked there, Jim talked there. Um, 
So, yeah. And you told me you had been in a union and I was fascinated because that's a pretty low percentage of this industry. Right. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I th- I th- and we will get we will get to that. That is not what we're talking about today. Of course, today we're talking about Uber and Lyft. And I guess so let's let's do a little bit of background on this, because, you know, I think a lot of people are like, you know, either use Uber and Lyft or uh, are kind of aware of 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 the issues uh, surrounding Uber and Lyft. But I guess basically one of the ways that Uber and Lyft, uh, these ride sharing companies, operate is they consider their employees uh contractors basically right so the idea of a contractor is you're sort of taxed uh well you're taxed differently um you're essentially you're more responsible for your own taxes is what it really means um and you're also responsible for things like benefits and and uh that type of thing on your own when you are a contractor. And there are some situations where I think, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you disagree with this. I do. I do. I'm okay. interested to draw that out a bit. Yeah. So I think there are issues, there, there are scenarios I think that, yeah. where Go ahead. somebody could be, could be like, you know what? My spouse has a very stable job. I can get my benefits through them. And so, like, I don't really have to mm-hmm. worry about uh, that part of the equation. And maybe I'm a little bit savvy financially. And so I can be really good at, you know, capturing my receipts and my expenses and make it so that contracting actually does work out for you better than employment may. And some people are just structurally, like, with the way they work, it's like, I don't want to work for the same employer 365 days a year. They, right. they prefer the life of, you know, maybe working two months here, six months here, a year here, et cetera, right? Um, so I yeah. think that is like best case scenario uh, for your life as, as, as a contractor. Uh, what, what, what do you think about, about that? I'm hearing disagreement. Uh, I mean, I think there's, there's questions of that as a form of making a living. Uh, and, um, and, just the diversity of, of markets and such that relate to, you know, writing code and like having, you know, there are many people who write code or write, you know, do security work who are contractors um, and for whom that that simply makes sense. Right. Uh, I know I'm not going to say that I want all of that to go away. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't, I think that, you know, one of the central things that we definitely want to get out of here is like, certainly shouldn't be transportation networks. Uh, and, and also, you know, in general, but yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so, my, so let's, let's uh, talk, let's, let's go into a little bit more background. So basically whether you are an employee or a contractor, is has sort of traditionally there's been quite a bit of latitude that an employer has has had in deciding what you are and or or at least convincing you that you are what they want you to be right right um 
and you know there's always you know if you're in demand enough and you're you're skilled enough you know obviously right, you right, have right. some you know uh bargaining there i suppose uh but traditionally what what i've found interesting and uh you know i i've mostly heard of this through the grapevine of of stories from people is that like the irs is mostly the agency that actually enforces whether or you know tries to say to a company is this person really a contractor or like you know according to their tax records they've been working for you for two years uh and so it seems like their employment seems to be indefinite under you they don't have any other employers right uh you know so they so the irs is the one that that traditionally seems to enforce this and you know i've never heard of like the nlrb or some other federal agency, you know, the Department of Commerce, uh, you know, coming in and saying, you know, right. this is wrong, what's happening here. Uh, and, you know, I, I just put that in as a note to say that's interesting and maybe that's something that, you know, potentially we could change. Uh, you know, is is the IRS really the best uh, organization to be to be looking into this? Because... <laughs> The IRS is basically just complaining that, like, hey, the way this person is paying their taxes is a little weird, and so, right, we should. I mean, those are those are victories of a certain kind of political ideology, right? Ultimately, and I mean, uh, I agree. I agree about the IRS. I thought that was really interesting. You made a, a distinction to me in a con- uh, conversation earlier about the difference between. There is no, like you file a 1099 owning an Airbnb or driving a cab. And that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't think in, in a cab situation you do, uh, or drive, I'm sorry, drive an Uber. Uber. Yeah. 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 No, I'm Italian. Yeah. So, or, well, I mean, it depends. I don't know how cabs are set up, you know, I guess sensibly that I feel like they're small business owners or they're part of a small business structure. Uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, you I, in Chicago, you know, you you purchase. I believe you purchase the medallion through the city, right? Um, and it's expensive, uh, very expensive to get, or was very expensive to get a medallion. You know, the price has dropped. Right. Um, yeah, and it's. I mean, they're, it, you know, but yeah. So, anyways, so, the, the, so. so the way the that like you know the way that the courts and the law and all of this has been structured over, over the years before Uber and Lyft came along was basically you're an employee and the burden of proof is on the employer to say the person's contractor, right? So it's already leaning against Uber and Lyft in, in certain ways. And then there's different uh, ways that you can test whether it makes sense that this person is an employee or an employee or a, or a 1099. And those are, you know, behavioral control, financial control, relationship. Uh, so, you know, is the relationship going to go on forever? Yeah, you know, are you telling the person where to work? Uh, you know, can they seek business elsewhere? And some of these things lean towards Uber and Lyft's point uh, that these people are, are, are contractors. And some of them mm-hmm. lean against. And so that's why I, I feel like it's been a controversy for a while, you know, ever since these companies came into existence, because, you know, generally when they lean one way or the other in Uber or Lyft's case, 
they lean hard in one direction or the other, but it's not like it, it all leans in one direction, you know? Yeah. Uh, I haven't read the, I haven't read the ruling yet. Um, I, you know, it just came down on Friday, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and we should say that the the ruling that the California courts have basically given Uber and Lyft uh, time to fight this out through the courts. And, you know, I think the, the, the thing is, is so California created a law that basically clarified and, you know, uh, set up certain situations where, you know, somebody should be uh, considered, you know, whether or not they were misclassified. And I think the argument, you know, what makes this tough is like, you know, on California's side, they, they're like, well, it's the burden is on the, is on Uber and Lyft to, to say that these people are, are our contractors uh we don't feel contractors are employees right yeah and they have not made that case we feel like and we've also clarified the law just to be super clear and you know the rideshare companies now want to say you know we need time to argue our case in court right and you know i guess the court basically said you know the this will do so much damage to so many people's lives that like maybe it makes sense to you know give them some time i suppose that would be the thinking is it really of i mean if i were the judge you know i i don't oh, think no, that, no no i mean like uh, yeah, i thought you'd you had like that was the argument that they came out with though, or that wasn't the argument? I'm sure that was, I'm sure that plays into it, right? Like, I mean, how could you say, no, sorry, we're, well, I know, I, I know how you could say it. It's like, well, that's the law right. says, right? Sorry, I didn't understand who you were speaking as. Yeah. yeah, okay, sorry. Like, you know, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the judge, and I'm like, okay, well, on the one hand, the law says But this. see, the thing, the thing about that is, though, is that this is a tactic that they've used in cities across the world. Absolutely. Literally. Um, they just lost a case uh, a few months ago in London that had been dragging on for years right. um, because there was concerted action in the street. There were protests in the street uh, and a bunch of other, you know, things that played into it. But it's, I, I honestly haven't, there's so, there's literally so much you can talk about with Uber. It is incredible. Uh, you, you know, so many facets of it and uh in the short time that it's existed you know uh what it means um you know i mean they they poached half of carnegie mellon uh the computer vision um lab i'm probably screwing that up but it was it was a research lab i believe associated with carnegie mellon that was uh, uh doing self-driving cars and they went in and just bought a fuckload of people uh you know, and I, and by bought, I mean, offered them jobs. Um, so, you know, it, it's a lot to cover. Yeah. So one of the things, cause I kind of talked to some, some people I know who, you know, think differently than I do, you know, in preparation for this episode. And I, I said, you know, what do you, you know, what are your thoughts about this to some of the people I know? And one of the questions that I got back, you know, 
was what is even California's interest in doing all of this? Like, what is the point of, of all of this? And uh, what, uh, so do you have any ideas as to like, I do, I have profound. What are your thoughts around this? I think the interest of the state in, in, so for example, what did they fight when they fought here? Well, they fought over fingerprinting. Uh, in fact, some of the reporting on this. And, and when you say out, here, you, you mean uh, here in Texas, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, in Austin, Texas. So the battle was pretty profound here in Austin and, and Houston. Uh, there was, interestingly, uh, an institutional pushback. Um, and but they've institution, you know, they meaning the state itself. Like okay. They were they were they were saying I remember reading at the time that um, they would get you at the airport, you know, because that's one of the. Um, you know, that's a huge part of Cav's business. Right. Uh, and so... And how did they fight back with fingerprinting? What, what does that have to do? Well, so, people, you know, people said, look, you know, uh, one of the... To get a medallion, you have to get fingerprinted. Okay. Right? To, be a, to be a cab driver, I don't think, even think to get a medallion. I think to be a cab driver. I'm sorry, right. let me rephrase that. Right. Um, to be a cab driver, you have to be fingerprinted. And the same should be expected of Uber as well. But, okay. you know you know how many cars he's doing then and you can tax them and, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, I mean, then you can, um, you can regulate types of service. So. Yeah. But I also see the argument of like, you know, you know, if I'm just a college student trying to make a few extra bucks, like, you know, Eh, sending that person through a fingerprint process is, really going to favor people who uh, are doing this 24 hours a day rather than, you know, Mm. so I, you know, I, I, that's an interesting way to attack it. I think in California, there's a much clearer um, reason that the state has an interest in, in, you know, controlling this or, you know, guiding it or however you want to say it, you know, how, how, how employees are classified. Right. So like, one of the gotcha, things gotcha. that you know, I think we have sort of talked about a little bit uh, pre-show is you know how the you know the studies that have been done in terms of these rideshare companies and how much money people actually make after you factor in everything. So you know, you factor in depreciation. I believe I saw five. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So like, there's you know, there's been studies that say you know they make five dollars an hour, they make nine dollars an hour, like you know, in many cases at or below minimum wage you know, or around minimum wage, right? So if this person were working for, you know, Target and working 40 hours a week, they would be entitled to health benefits. Now we can argue about how Target and Walmart and whatnot take advantage of not staffing people for 40 hours a week. Yeah. But... But you know, one of the things that like, if you are saying this person is a contractor and if they work a hundred hours a week driving a car, mm-hmm. they, I mean, I, they may I, still not I have enough money to pay with... for their benefits. Yes. Yes. Yep. And so then they're relying on Medi-Cal or whatever state, you know, uh, right. Program or federal program, if it's Medicaid uh, you know, in most states, there was, yeah, Medicaid. I saw a really interesting study I, that I never got. Uh, I think people who are familiar 
with the lit, the quote unquote, the literature, there's a guy who's been writing about this. Who's like a, from what I can tell is like a, like a libertarian type. Um, and saying that the effect is going to be immiseration from, and I, I skimmed part of it, so I shouldn't actually talk about it, but people, uh, and I left the, my copy at home. Um, but he said it would increase, uh, uh, welfare usage. So by uh, anyway, shoving people out of these jobs or what is the, what is the argument? No, because the, the, the actual income is so low that they right. have to depend on. This. Right. Oh, you're saying the continued. Yeah. So you're saying a, a libertarian is making the argument that this is not a bad setup or this is a bad setup. Because... Right. That was my, I probably shouldn't say anything and I, you know, maybe re- <laughs> revisit this later. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, I could see I, how somebody I, could make that argument, right? It's like, it's not a crazy argument uh, yeah. to make. So, well, I mean, the same argument. I mean, it's not an argument it, that is literally what Walmart does. Like, right. Well, I think something like uh, a significant percentage of their employees uh, rely on food stamps to survive, you know, because that's how the Waltons run the business. Uh, but anyway. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to t- actually let's let's talk about so t- tell tell me a little bit about uh, Grayball. Yeah. Yes. So Grayball, Grayball, uh, kind of out of all of these horrible things that are, I think that these sort of walking modern capitalist horrors, you know, uh, that they bring is the tactic of attacking the state with the with the um, the means of a modern, um, you know, with deep capital, I mean, these are well-funded companies, uh, attacking the regulatory state with software and using what essentially would be OSINT, you know, like looking up regulatory officials, uh, social media profiles and tagging uh, potential rideshare accounts and saying, you know, this person can't ride. Uh, so there's been a, a lot of coverage of it and it it's came in bunches at, you know, uh, at the release of, of public reports. Um, and this is something that Uber has done in multiple cities across uh, the, the world, literally. Um, the New York Times coverage of it was uh, very good. Um, but uh, um, it's, co- I mean, it's code. It's what we, what we do. It, and some of it not terribly complicated, just scanning social media profiles, uh, checking bank records, they were going as far as to harvest phones from local electronic stores um, because those were the most likely. They would use this as a signal, I guess, uh, the and the model numbers as well uh, to target them. And uh, if you tried to hail a ride from the uh, Portland, uh, uh, oh god, I don't have my notes with me. Uh, the Portland uh, uh, something of transportation bureau of transportation. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, they you couldn't get a ride um it, it would connect you for a second and then the driver would cancel and right. it would show no cars in your area um which is just fascinating to me on, on a level because it's like how long do you think you're going to be able to get away with right that? uh and the answer is it's long enough to get into the market um so they did it the dates were december 2014 they moved in and this is all portland this is coming out there were reports i'll link in the show notes um, uh, they entered the Portland market illegally and were beginning to operate uh, in, in December and they immediately tagged these accounts and 
by the end of December, uh, Portland said, you can't operate here. You're, this is illegal. Uh, and um, when they restarted in April, uh, they legally, uh, they, they provided proof that the tags had been removed from these people's accounts, whatever that means. Mm. Uh, I need to go back and double check some of the coverage and find out exactly. But I imagine that some, you know, system identification, some printouts, something. Um, and it's, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre to think about that, you know, that, that they did this all across the world. They did it in Boston. Uh, they think they did it in Philly. Uh, they think they did it in Paris, uh, or I'm sorry, they for sure did it in Paris, Boston, uh, and probably Austin and Philly, which is just nuts. And London, of course, as well. Yeah. It came out that they were doing it in London. Uh, that, so, and so what's the remedy for something like that? I mean, yeah, right. So one of the one of the interesting things that you confront in this reporting is is how little they they were able to actually do uh, against them. You know, um, like this came out, and they uh, um, they were still able to get into all of these markets. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to deal with that, honestly. Um, they, uh, there was some reporting on some other stuff where they tried to get into some servers, I believe, in Canada, uh, in Toronto, and they remotely disabled all of the equipment so that regulators couldn't actually get into their servers. Um, I think I've heard this company described as, as an actual um, organized, self-conscious capital attacking the regulatory state. And I like that description. I think that that's true. Um, I and and the, the things the that you're talking about are they are these things that have happened under the current leadership of the of the company or is this something that happened in the past under uh, different so the, so far they say that this is you know I haven't I haven't followed up with the London because uh, I, there was just some reporting very recently they came out on it um, they claimed to have stopped but it was noted in one of the reports uh, in 2015 that. The state cannot prove that they are not doing this. They put it out. They actually said it, you know. Um, yeah, but that's also like proving a negative. It. It's like, how do you, without reviewing right, everything? Right, right. They went on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, yes, that was, sorry, I got cut off. But uh, they, I don't know, man. I really don't know. I mean, I, I it boggles the mind, the resources that companies like, like if you're going in and you're saying we're going to build robot cars, right? Right. The drive around of it, like our goal, our end goal here, which they've been, they were fairly open about was driverless cars. It, you know, we're going to use the drivers as long as we can. And then we're going to shift to driverless cars. Right. Um, and it's just ruthless logic, you know, like, well, and it's like, I, it's also like you have how... money to set up systems that are, extremely or allegedly set up these systems you know to the extent that the stuff has been reported uh accurately uh right you know uh set up what seem to be very complex systems but you can't pay you know you have to suck every penny right. out of what you pay i mean obviously them, so. that's a total lie like the people you know the people like travis kellenick's whatever package that he got i can't remember, the former CEO. I remember reading it at the time um What's the the current CEO Dara Dara? Um, uh, I can't remember it right now. 
Yeah. New guy. I the new guy. He had that what's that? Yeah, He's guy. the new guy. Um he had that new he had a, a talk about, you know, sharing capitalism. Um you know, I mean, obviously a lot a lot of people their answer is going to be the right the the remedy for something like that is unionism. It is unionism. And there is organizing that's going on with that. Uh I don't know. I, I have actually oh I, I should be totally honest with uh with our audience, I've only actually taken one Uber in my life and I've never been in a lift. Uh, and I don't have, I don't have any, anything against drivers who are looking to make money that way, who see that as a path, they have a car and that's whatever. I just, I haven't, I actually avoided a smartphone for her as long as I possibly could and just got one recently. Uh, but I've taken one, uh, one Uber ride in my life. Um, and I, I, I think that they should unionize. I don't, you know, obviously, if the path clears in California and they're classified employees, fuck yeah. I mean, that makes it even easier, right? Like that makes unionization that much easier. Like if you're all a company then, right, it's not just one capitalist against you're all little businessmen and women uh, and non-binary people and whatever driving your cars and and, uh, accumulating your own capital and paying all your own expenses and doing whatever, you know. I mean, because that's what it's sold to a lot of people as, I think. Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, how, yeah. So, on, well, like, and, uh, you, to be super clear, that's I... That's like a lot of the pitch to people. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So to be super clear, I have used Uber and Lyft in the past. I uh, default to Lyft when, when I do. Uh, I used to use them a lot more and I use them a lot less now. Um, so, you know, I'm in a different situation. <laughs> Uh, but I should also be clear that I have family that drove a cab, um, and I believe had a medallion, like owned and operated and drove the cab. Okay. So, uh, now that we've got our, like, all our disclosures out of the way, uh, 30 minutes yes. into the episode, uh, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> so I think the thing, let's talk about the differences between, uh, contractors that are in the gig economy and maybe, what people might think of as much more of a traditional contractor role. So like, let's first start with like the difference between somebody who drives for Uber or Lyft and is rideshare and is basically, you know, a contract contracting their service of driving as well as the physical car that you will be driven in versus somebody who is an airbnb person who is renting out their residence or their second residence or an investment property so so do you see those as the same thing that airbnb is is taking advantage of those people as much as uber and lyft are you know taking advantage of the person that needs income and, and right. drive people right. around. Uh, you know, that's really interesting because I, 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 it, it kind of depends, I guess. I have actually never stayed in an Airbnb. Right. And when I have been able to travel, uh, I prefer to stay in hotels. Um, I was raised middle class. I, you know, my parents, we traveled when uh, we were kids and I got to stay in hotels. It's nice. Um, you know, uh, I know they're dirty places, but whatever. Um, 
and <laughs> right. there's also hostels, uh, which are another option. You know, what's that? There's also hostels, which are another option. Right? Hostels, and I've stayed in plenty of hostels as well. Hostels are great, um, but no, I mean the 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 way that so the capital investment there and the the class the break that you have with that i think that's interesting when you're talking about people who do airbnb are the people who have the property they own the property really and that's just something that they do also as well you know maybe maybe not but they own the property versus what i found out and i maybe people who use it are already knew uh, when the pandemic hit was that there were so many people who would just go and rent a ton of apartments and use them as Airbnbs right? Uh, or all kinds of properties, I guess. I don't know, um, which is insane to me. Uh, you know, I mean, have you been following that at all? Like, yeah, uh, and I've, I've heard of that. And, uh, you know, it's that get in, that gets into like subletting and, you know, I, I mean, right, I right. I don't see that as being. I've also lived in California and been like eight people to a room, so you know, briefly. Yeah, and and but. yeah, I, I think that's also very interesting because it's like, well, who there is taking the risk? I mean, the person that's taking the risk is the person who is leasing those that apartment space and. And the people who go there. Yeah, and the people that go there. Yeah, that's true too. But so I think the the big difference between rideshare and Airbnb and other, you know, VRBO and the other, you know, ones that are not as good as Airbnb. And I use Airbnb way more than I use hotels, uh, to be clear. Uh, I think is that with Uber and Lyft, they are you know, saying you must have a, a sufficiently recent and up-to-date version of vehicle. So you, so you get people who go out and, you know, like, this is going to enrage you uh, to find this out because you, you probably don't know this. But, like, there are people that ride, that drive for Uber and Lyft, and basically they are leasing the vehicle from, like, there's a, like Uber and Lyft have their own lease program. Where? Yeah, no, no, actually, yes, I, it does enrage me. And I believe that that program was even marketed directly to soldiers returning right. yeah. from, so, you know, like there was a whole, some general like got into it. There are interesting later on, um, you know, when we talk about, uh, when we circle back maybe on, on gray ball is uh, there's an interesting parallel of when you realize that part of the state, the military is absolutely fine with, uber right uh and use it um you know and recommend it and make sure that ex-soldiers work there and own you know go into debt to get these cars right uh and yet at the same time it's attacking the regulatory state which is whatever go ahead sorry so so but so in both cases somebody could go into debt uh to get a you know to get a, a an airbnb residence that they could put on airbnb somebody could go into debt to buy a vehicle that they could rideshare with, right? I think the difference for me is like with rideshare, you are the asset that you are bringing to the table is a depreciating asset. Whereas with Airbnb, I mean, you're taking a risk, but the, you know, traditionally, you know, 
normalized over the whole population, housing goes up. So it's a very different risk that you're taking. Sure. If you, right. Yeah, sure. So it's, you know, I'm not, I, that I think is the thing that makes to me the rideshare, the risks of, of, of being a rideshare operator, you know, the most crazy uh, to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, no, you're, you're, gonna, you're, on, you're, you're making $9 right. an hour and you're, also supposed to pay for your healthcare and uh, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, and the other thing too is, you know, part of being a 1099, right. If you're making, let's, let's compare uh, ride sharing to somebody who's more of a traditional uh, contractor. So let's say that you're a programmer or an IT person, you get a six month contract and basically you know, this, the position would have made normally $120,000 a year. Let's say it's, you know, in an area that would pay $120,000 for that in a normal year, you know, if the person was an employee, but because the person's a contractor and they've got to pay their own expenses, they are, you know, it's, it's uh, 160,000 per year. So it's a six month contract. So it's half that. Right. And in that situation, right. That person, may have the capital to be like, okay, I'm going to pay for a, an accountant that can help me make sure that I'm getting, you know, maximizing my tax deductions and that I'm, you know, that may assist me with record keeping in terms of receipts, that type of thing. If you are making $9 an hour or $5 an hour or, you know, whatever the number is for Uber, you're probably not in the financial situation where you can be like, ah, yes, let me call my accountant and right. uh you know get make sure that he's optimizing my my deductions on the depreciation of my vehicle you know um right. so i think that is one of the 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 things where i think i would favor you know a salary f- uh floor i guess on 1099s where it's like Somebody's making minimum wage or the equivalent of minimum wage, or it can be demonstrated that they are making minimum wage. Person shouldn't be a 1099. It just doesn't make sense. You know? Right. Well, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of people, right. Yeah. 1099 for minimum wage seems, I mean, you, you get what, like 600 that you're not supposed that you, before you can, someone can pay you $600 before you have to report that as income. Is that something it's you know i i hear differing things about you know you're supposed to report every dollar that you sure right right? especially if you're if you're suddenly your own business yeah right um so i know it's going to be a tough crowd to talk to other to a you know probably many many hackers and programmers and people involved in technology who it makes sense for them to do that you know to live that way and to live that life um but i I certainly am not going to, you know, I would encourage drivers. I hope that they unionize the support attempts to unionize drivers. And obviously I, I would like to see programmers unionize as well here, but uh, in this specific, specific insta- instance, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, you're, you're basically saying like, do we ask the state now to say on, on 1099s, you know, I, I paid to this person, uh, you know, X amount and they can go back and investigate that as well through the IRS. 
Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think the last I you know I was I came up with this one just before I uh we got on the call and I think the 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 last comparison I'd like to make is like so you've got ride sharing people who are 1099s and what about like uh people who deliver pizzas for a living right who are employees sure. yeah yep who have the depreciating asset uh, oftentimes it, do you, do don't you, even make minimum wage. They, you know, because yes, of tipping, yes. right? Uh, I never, I never, did you drive, did you deliver pizzas? I, I have had several friends who, you know, made like the, the formula is basically as long as you make more or, you know, some formula where as long as you make more in tips than you would on minimum wage, then you get to, you know, have that be your your wage but like it it makes that you know it puts you in a situation where you feel grateful for your chains you know type of thing and oh uh, yeah for sure and yeah so like it's it's not you know i I, then so i think that sort of takes it into like you know what is it what is the purpose of a job right like is is a job you know are there categories of jobs that are supposed to be like you know you think of a pizza business or, you know, as a, a pizza delivery driver. And it's like, is that something you're supposed to do 40 hours a week? <laughs> and like, you know, invest in your 401k off of the money you make. Sure. In the, you know, and like, are we, you know, are the we correct? Uh, the correct answer is that the state provides jobs. Or, or the, the yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is that. that. <laughs> Absolutely. And then it doesn't matter what the fuck you do. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, like, when people think about it, it's like, okay, well, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, people should just get a better job, right? So, like, what, yeah, what do you... I mean, that's a common argument. What do you, what do you think the, the, the counter to that is? You know, because, like, you know, I look at a, a pizza a person and I'm like, well, sure, go ahead. you know, good work. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people that have, you know, done it as a second job, you know, like, yeah, maybe it's not a primary job that you are supposed to, like, are you supposed to be able to, you know, feed a family of five, you know, off of driving and delivering a pizza. And when I say that, I'm also saying sub Uber driver or Lyft driver in for, for that question as well. I think there's actually an interesting difference in class perception of those two positions, right? So, you know, maybe classically people um, wrote semi-romanticized cab driving, maybe not, you know, and right, getting a pizza is, is seen as it's undignified work. It's simple, an idiot can do it. Here's the map, give someone a pizza and they drive and they have a car and it's, and the, and the comparison is apt, right? Like uh, they, you are, you still have to take care of the car. Um, you make less than minimum wage. You rely on tips. It's very al- a valid comparison. Um, and you're an employee, but and you're yeah. Obviously, the the difference is you're you're an employee now, but you have to bring that capital to the table, which is right. Like I never I never delivered pizza. I was I should be clear. I waited tables and bartended for many years, uh, uh, over ten years, and um, I, you know. I loved a lot of that, you know, it's difficult. And if you're not disciplined, you know, but, uh, 
a lot of people treated it in a similar way because you were technically employees. But I had a lot of places where I waited tables where they they said uh, if a very actually a famous chain around here, the Papacitas and Papados, uh, I waited tables there in college and the manager said to me, um, I rent you four tables and it's your job to sell them. You know, and I think we've all experienced that waiter going out, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's just, it comes down to like, you know, I think we need to have more conversations about like, you know, there are plenty of countries around the world where people uh, don't have those same class perceptions about work that we that we do here in, in the States, you know, um, sure. where people say, you know what, uh, working in a factory is an honorable job and you know, working at a grocery store is an honorable job. I could not eat without you. You know, I could not. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of the, the vitriol, I think the, like when you noted that argument, that argument's usually made with contempt. Right. Right. And it's, it's made on, you know, by right wing media a lot. Um, seeing this, that masquerades as a, as a, as a sort of social virtue, right. That you should climb, you should seek to climb. Um, but, you know, Obviously, I think that's fucking bullshit. Uh, so I've, you know, I, I worked at a, a place here when I was young at a taco stand. It was it was great, too. Um, but yeah, you know, to bring it back to, to Uber, I mean, it's a pretty profound difference with Uber because you're driving on a like houses don't move, obviously. Right. Yeah. They still require constant capital reinvestment. Right. But cars are bit different and much more dangerous so you know absolutely is what it is yeah okay um well we are about 45 minutes into the show what uh, what else do you want to talk about before we get wrapped up here what else do we want to talk about um let's see here i you know what are the things you and i have talked about recently that i that I think about a lot is that has to do with Uber specifically and its relationship. And it, it's a central part of like the question you just asked, like, what is the remedy here? Is it unionism among, you know, uh, car drivers or people? Um, is that, uh, you know, you've, you've got enough capital and, you know, access to the state essentially necessary to conduct these tests that you, you can replace your workers. Mm -hmm. In fact, you aim to do that. Uh, you know, and I, a class, I should say a class of your workers. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it's a lot to wrap your head around. I, there, there was some, um, some, something, uh, came out recently. Uh, I believe it was the head of Volkswagen said that, uh, of research at Volkswagen, I should pull up the, the headline um, that said uh, something to the effect of like they rated states of uh, of um, automation for self-driving cars. Right. Because this is we're you know, what we're talking about largely is a software problem. I think, you know, um, this is a computational problem. It's not a hardware problem. It's a dealing with the state problem. And it's a you know, can we do this? 
Well, it's uh, a hardware we, problem, we and have... it's a cost problem as well, right? It's like if it was. Is it? I mean, what's the what's what are the costs here, right? Like, so cars now, you know, uh, you know, a number. They said that they've got a car coming out soon um, that would handle. So he rated these five. Hold on, let me pull this up because this is worth addressing. Um, Volkswagen driverless cars. Forgive me, audience. This is our first episode. Gonna be a <laughs> we're doing the not we're doing my... the thing that you don't do on a podcast, which is googling stuff while on air. Yeah, <laughs> while on air. All right. So a lot of I saw. Um, oh no, that's not it. Um, while I'm looking it up, anyway, the, he classified four states of driverless automation. Right, and um, the state, uh, one of them was like cruise control, auto, you know, a regulate cruise control so it can slow down as yeah. objects. See stuff in front of it. Vision, as I understand it. Yes. Uh, and these are, I believe these systems are LIDAR based, right? Um, or radar. That that's or the Waymo technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, and that was a whole other thing. I mean, Google sued successfully, I think, sued Uber for stealing parts of its driverless technology, right? Isn't that, didn't that happen? I feel like that happened. Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. Like Waymo, the Waymo lawsuit? Yeah. Well, I think specifically they had, because of California's anti-compete yes. laws, they had somebody go from one to the other and allegedly brought some stuff with Oh, them. it was more than that. He, like, left with plans. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I said that. He left with... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I understand. I understand. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and how do you confront that? I, I wonder for these workers. Like, I wonder for them, for these people who drive these cars, right? You know, whether they lease them, whether they own them, whether, you know, their family owns them or something like that, you know? You're looking down a barrel there. Right. Like there. And so he lays out five states and there were headlines to the effect of or the commentary that I saw was, see, look, they say that um, we may never get um, this ultimate autonomous vehicles. And he kind of very he, de he defined it as push button. It goes from one place to the other and you never do anything. You right. don't have to sit there. You don't have to watch it. It just goes. Uh, and I, I find that really odd um, because he and he kind of stat it's something I kind of want to sit with uh, because, you know, this he had this classification system in the fourth tier, which he said was possible, was like everything but that. Like you punch in a destination and it mostly drives. And that's close enough, you know, like that's pretty serious. Uh, and I think that that'll have broad effects on uh, on an you don't have to get all the way to completely autonomous for the economic effects to, to happen. Right. Like you're, they're going to find ways to cut jobs with that. Right. Right. Like, Oh, you can, you know, <laughs> you can be the driver assistant that guides the self-driving, you know, right. you, know? you know, like <laughs> you're taking somebody's job and, also doing the work you know type of thing it's a self-service type setup that's a, something you could ostensibly envision on the way to full complete self-driving right 
Yes. I am currently paging through the over 50 bookmarks just for Uber, just for the, the, uh, you know, the, the parts of it that we wanted to talk about in a single hour, uh, because there is just so much and, uh, looking for this, um, looking for this piece, um, because I think it's, it's, uh, you said, um, so you, you know, I think it's interesting that, that you drive a car that's, that has like what he described as stage two and maybe even stage three, where, uh, it has like a, a, a level of autopilot, you know, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? I mean, I think it comes down to like, like, and I assume you mean like from the perspective of, uh, what does that mean for people's jobs or like what, I guess what, what, what perspective do you mean that from? Like, um, here we go. It's the drive and it was from January. I mean, your response in general to that, like, do you, is that a future that you really, do you want cars? Do you want that to happen? I mean, this is something we've talked about before. Yeah. I I think, and I, yes, it is something I want to have happen because I do not like driving and I, you know, if the future is we don't actually own cars and we just hail them like a self, uh, you know, self contained bus that is ours, you know, for 30 minutes, I'd be okay with that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, obviously that has an impact on employment within society that I feel differently about. Uh, but from the perspective of, is that a future I have a problem with where I'm not actually controlling the vehicle? I do not have a problem with that at all. Interesting. I, I kind of, you know, I know this makes me odd, but I don't want it. Um, I, I, I wasn't a great mechanic and I wouldn't even really call myself a mechanic, but I, you know, in high school, I had old trucks like from the seventies and just, you could work on them. You could go get the parts. You could change it. You could take care of it. Uh, it didn't drive for you. And, uh, it got terrible gas mileage and obviously I'd like to improve that, but I, I am very much like philosophically like opposed to that. I think that it's, it's an eventual, an eventuality. Um, because for a lot of the reasons you just said, like, you know, a lot of people are going to, I lived in the city for many years without a car and I loved it. Uh, and I love public transportation too. I should be clear. Um, but the idea of not owning a car and just being able to call one, I get the utility. Uh, I lived in Chicago for many years or not many years, but I lived in Chicago and Boston and it's nice. Yeah. I think, I I don't think they'll go away completely. Like I think, uh, you know, it'll be the same model that you know, computers are at, right? Like we have phones and iPads and tablets and laptops even that are not, you know, what not user serviceable in the way that, uh, you know, a gaming PC or a workstation PC or whatever is right. So, um, I think, there will be both on the road for the people that don't want a self-driving car. You know, it's going to be interesting to see 
you know, are there going to be man, you know, niche manufacturers that are, are like, you know, we're not Tesla. We have no interest in knowing anything about your data, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I we're, we're veering, we're, we're slowly yeah. veering off into another show. So I think we should probably, uh, yeah, try we to get we're heading an hour. Up. We're heading an hour. Yeah. So, uh, anything else before we wrap up? No, nope. uh, I enjoyed it, man. Okay. Was, well, I love talking about these things with you and, Absolutely. I think this was a good, cool. good first show. I think we learned a lot about the audio setup and, uh, you know, we're still working through getting everything set up. But uh, if you do want to follow us, uh, we're mostly on Twitter at, at Pushing Left. Uh, you can email us at pushingleftpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we definitely want to hear from people. If uh, if you heard this this episode and, and you know, you, you had thoughts about it, uh, you know, definitely interested in your feedback and uh, where you think we we should take the show and uh we thank you uh for listening and uh we'll see you on the next episode thanks guys